Hey everybody, welcome to the Export. I'm Revan X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I know is just as excited as I am for not only the NFL season to kick off, but the college football season as well. Mississippi State game, but I'm also looking forward to the uh, the Georgia Oregon game. Who you got, Georgia or Oregon? I'm, I'm pretty sure I know who you're gonna say, but it's worth it. It'll be interesting. I mean, I saw how it was like for LSU after we won a national championship and then everybody was gone. And that's kind of the same thing that happened to Georgia's defense. They lost 15 guys, 14, 15 guys on that side of the ball. So I'm really excited to see how that's going to shake out. But, I mean, I think Georgia's still going to be – them dogs still going to be all right. Another game uh, worth mentioning, I, I already told you, Ohio State versus Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame's probably going to get blown out. But I think it'll still be a good one. My LSU Tigers are facing the Florida State Seminoles. And if you guys don't know, uh, Mike Norvell, who is the head coach of Florida State, used to be the head coach at Memphis. So he's the reason why I kind of care about Florida State, even though LSU is going to turn them up. But we got a pretty packed show for you guys today. We are going to close out our divisional breakdowns with the AFC and NFC West. We're going to look at the NBA and talk Kevin Durant staying in Brooklyn. How does that change the landscape of not only the Nets, but the Eastern Conference itself? And then we got another WWE predictions for you guys. Clash at the Castle is taking place this Saturday. So we got a cool show for you guys. So, but without further ado, please sure check out theexreport.net. I repeat, theexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So first things first, let's look at some NFL roster moves, starting with some retirements. Former uh, linebacker for the Seahawks, Shaquem Griffin, most notably the first NFL player to be drafted with just one hand has decided to retire, as did nine-year pro center um, J.C. Treader also has decided to retire. Some other moves around the league, 49ers fortify their secondary by signing safety to Sean Gibson. Um, Also, in some more fun news, after some interesting training camp battles to determine QB1s, it seems like the Seattle Seahawks have decided on Geno Smith. And the Carolina Panthers have decided on Baker Mayfield pre-Sam Donald's injury. So, Ethan, in your opinion, who has the better week one? Sam Donald, I'm sorry, not Sam Donald, Baker Mayfield against the Browns or Geno Smith against the Broncos? Oh, uh, this obvious. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. It is. I, I'm in total agreement with you, not just because I think that I think, the Bron- I think the Broncos are a much better team than the Browns, but also Baker's got that. It's a personal element. He's going up against his former team. He wants to smoke all of it. So, all right, if you had to predict his stat line, what do you think it's going to be? Because personally, I think either he's going to throw for like four touchdowns over 300 yards or he's going to like totally craft the bed, have like three picks and like one touchdown. It's no in-between. I think he's going to throw for – like 310 and two touchdowns. That's respectable. I mean, he does have some nice weapons on the outside. So, yeah. All right, now, here's another one that I think is kind of obvious, too. But just for the sake of conversation, quarterbacks facing former teams. We got three so far, or at least two and a half. Russell Wilson is going to be facing Seattle. 
Joe Flacco, if Zach Wilson is not healthy, will be facing Baltimore. Baker Mayfield in the Panthers, obviously, facing the Browns. Which one do you think – who do you think gets the biggest win? Or at least who do you think wins by more points? Because I think I'm going Russ, obviously. Uh, yeah, I'm going Russ. Yeah. But I think it's going to be a better game than expected. It's just Seattle's defense – Outside of Jordan Brooks, Jamal Adams, and Quandre Diggs, I don't, I don't love much that's going on there. But let's talk about things and people that I do love, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. You know, LSU Tiger, and still a free agent coming after a Super Bowl victory with the Los Angeles Rams, where unfortunately he suffered a torn ACL. He's been flirting with a lot of different franchises this past week, starting off with the Los Angeles Rams. Matthew Stafford's wife tagged him in a post on Instagram, said, hey, hi, how are you? That yacht looks amazing, but Matthew Stafford misses you, so please come back home. OBJ responded, LOL, mama, you know what I'm waiting on, and I miss big bro. God, it feels right. I can finally tag at Matthew Stafford. Can you guys hold it down till midseason again? And I join late and win a ring again with laughing emojis. That's a little comforting for fans of the Rams, but then David Njoku, tight end for the Cleveland Browns, posted a screenshot between a conversation of between he and OBJ, where he beat him in a game of pool and said, OBJ said, I had it right the first time. Njoku responds, you told me if I win this series, you would consider coming back. Uh, OBJ put in parentheses, consider, and uh, Njoku said, I'll take it. And then, of course, we know the rumors about potentially him joining the Buffalo Bills. But even he even might have mentioned he might want that old thing back. A Giants fan tagged him and said, come back to New York. We need you ASAP. No Rocky at OBJ at NY Giants. To which Odell replied, that was fire. We'll see. I do miss my damn squad. Wanted to win a ring for that city. So, like I said, Odell's been kind of been flirting a bit with four different franchises. But, Ethan, if you were a betting man between the Rams, Bills, Browns, and Giants, who do you think has the most realistic chance of having Odell on their roster? The Rams. We all, we all know that they don't care about spending whatever amount of money or giving up, like, whatever revenue they need to get a player. And that's the team with the best chance to win a Super Bowl. And I think that Odell's at this point in his career, he's won a Super Bowl. And we all know the thing that happens after you win a Super Bowl, you want to win more. And the Rams are the team that presents him with the best opportunity to do that. So I'm going to say LA. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you, especially because he already has that relationship with his teammates, even with Von Miller gone. I mean, if you watch the interactions between him and the rest of the squad, it's clear that he's developed a close bond with those guys. And I think that it's one thing if he wants to go to Buffalo, who I think, of course, is a strong playoff contender, possibly even a Super Bowl contender themselves. That could work, plus he wouldn't know Von Miller, but, I mean, he still had to kind of start over from scratch, trying to rebuild those relationships and still not being able to play for at least half of the season. So I think it should be Rams. He said that they know what he's waiting on. I'm guessing it's something financial. Just Rams, just give the man his money. Give him some financial security. Sure, if that receiving room once again, and you already be ready to go. But continuing to talk about the Rams, 
we know how good they are on offense and defensively know that everything goes through Aaron Donald. However, that can be a good and bad thing. I'm sure everybody who's listening has seen the clip of the Los Angeles Rams and Cincinnati Bengals fight where you can see Aaron Donald swinging two helmets at Bengals players. Now, after the watch, watching the video, some fans, aka a few haters, uh, reportedly called for Aaron Donald to be suspended for his actions during the practice fight, citing the punishment for Miles Garrett, for who, as you might remember, Thursday night football against the Steelers was swinging Mason Rudolph's helmet at him. Uh, the in the Los Angeles Rams said that they will not publicize any disciplinary action towards Aaron Donald or other members of the team for their actions between the fight by handling it internally but Ethan now fair is fair I guess do you think Aaron Donald should be suspended for swinging helmets at practice heck no for one for people that are going back to the whole Miles Garrett situation the, the biggest reason why that's completely different is two reasons first it's in the actual game right. secondly Mason Rudolph didn't have a helmet on it's different like Aaron Donald, yes, he swung helmets at other players, but all the players that he swung helmets with or even connected with, they had helmets on. Miles Garrett swung a helmet at a man at a man that didn't have a helmet. And if the things that Miles Garrett said are true about the reason why he swung the helmet at my um uh, Mason Rudolph, I don't blame him. Yeah. But then but like to go to the context of the Aaron Donald fight no, I don't think he should be suspended because people fight and practice all the time. Like this whole offseason, there's been a highlight of the of the um, training camps is watching fight videos between teammates and even teams. So I definitely don't think he should be suspended because like footballs of footballs a high testosterone violent sport, and you're gonna have moments where things like that happen. And honestly. Me and you talked about it off air where I was surprised nothing happened sooner because of just because of the potential bad blood of two teams that faced each other in the Super Bowl, facing each other in the joint practice. But no, I don't think he should be suspended. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, because I think you really hit it head on the head with the first reason. When Miles Garrett did it, it was literally a nationally televised game. And I still stand on. He should have got suspended because I now him swinging at Mason Rudolph. If he was making racist remarks and stuff, then I mean you gotta do what you gotta do. And plus, let's be honest, it hasn't tarnished Miles Garrett's reputation. He's still one hell of a defensive player, one of the best in the league. And people don't even really think about it when they think of him. But I mean, it's still more than anything. It's a bad look for the NFL to have this happen national TV. Whereas this is a practice. Like, it's not supposed to be filmed. As you mentioned, there have been fights taking place all over training camp. I mean, even when the Patriots and uh, Panthers fought, they had back-to-back days of fights. And actually, one fight actually spilled into the crowd. And a fan supposedly had gotten hurt. But I don't. I, there were no suspensions to come out of that. So in the case of Aaron Donald, I mean, should he have done it? No. Is Aaron Donald low-key insane, but we just ignore it because he's an amazing player? Yes. But I don't I don't think so. And honestly, I don't think the Rams are really going to punish him. I mean, what are you going to say to Aaron Donald? You're not going to suspend him for a game. You might yell at him and say, don't do it. But as far as you need him on the field, so it's not going to go much further. So I don't think he should be suspended either. 
But all right, let's go ahead and look at some training camp slash preseason injuries. Uh, new signee for the Los Angeles Chargers, J.C. Jackson, is expected to miss the next two to four weeks uh, after having ankle surgery. His status for week one is up in the air. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but quarterback Sam Donald for the Panthers uh, in the preseason finale suffered a high ankle sprain, keeping him out of action for the next four to six weeks. And then the Dallas Cowboys have suffered a huge blow along their offensive line. Left tackle Tyron Smith tough, suffered a torn left hamstring during Wednesday's practice and is expected to not be able to come back until December. Ethan, you and I have already kind of talked about the Cowboys and how we're not exactly loving what they're bringing out to the field this season. So with the loss of Tyron, Matt, I mean Tyron Smith, how big of a blow do you think this is going to be for an offense that already has a lot of questions to answer? I think it's a huge blow because one of the things that we've always talked about is how Dallas's offensive line has been one of the stronger points of that team. And granted, that team, that offensive line hasn't been nearly as good as it's been in years past due to things of like injury history and like age. But Tyron Smith has still been one of the better players at his position for a handful of years. The only thing that's held him back has been in recent history is his injury history. And I think that when you're a team that has a has a really, I guess you could say, somewhat of a closet running back competition between Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. You just let go your um your what a lot of people consider your number one wide receiver. And yes, you're bringing in a guy in C.D. Lamb into that position, but we don't know how he'll look as a true number one. You need some type of familiarity, and one of those things has been the the familiarity of the guys on the offensive line. So you take out Tyron Smith and you take out a key piece and he's just been a focal point for the Cowboys for a handful of years. So I think it's a big blow. I think that like they they'll be able to manage, but I still think it's gonna be a a really nice size blow to their team. Yeah, I think you really hit it on the skill position players. But let's talk about the offensive line as well. They're not exactly seen as the superpower that they were about four or five years ago. Lyle Collins, they released him. He ends up signing with the Bengals. Um, Connor Williams, starting guard, he's gone to Miami. And at least you thought you had your centerpieces in Tyron Smith and Zach Martin. However, now with um, Tyron Smith gone, it brings up the interesting question of what do you do with Tyler Smith, your rookie? Initially, he was brought in. He was going to play right tackle to replace Lyle Collins. Do you move him over to the left side? Because then that sounds great and all, but then you create a big hole on your right tackle position. Who are you going to sign in free agency? Because with Dwayne Brown going up to the Jets, it's not a lot of options there unless they kind of just wait for one of these big names to possibly get cut during the 53 uh, roster cutdowns. Other than that, I just don't know exactly what the Cowboys are going to be able to do with the position because you have to have a right tackle. We, uh, uh, I'm sorry, not right tackle, but you have to have great bookends in this league. If you cannot protect your quarterback, you're going nowhere. And Dak Prescott, we've seen it in times when Tyra Smith was not playing. He got murdered. I remember distinctly, I think it was Chaz Green who replaced... Uh, who replaced uh, Tyron Smith a few years back, and he had like 
Adrian Claiborne had like six sacks, five or six sacks on Dak Prescott. And it was a nationally televised game. And you don't want that to continue to happen to Dak, especially since you guys are fighting for a playoff spot. So, yeah, I think it is a major blow. But, all right, let's look at some players who are going to be starting on the physically unable to perform list. Okay, this means that for at least the first four weeks of the season, they will not be able to play. And then you and I will decide which player we think is the biggest loss to their team. So, starting off in Washington, the Commanders will be without defensive end Chase Young. Uh, Detroit Lions will not have rookie wide receiver Jamison Williams. Baltimore will not have running back Gus Edwards. And the San Francisco 49ers were hit twice in their secondary, losing one of their top cornerbacks. Jason Verrett as well as their starting safety Jimmy Ward so of these options which loss do you think is the biggest I'm going to go with Jimmy Ward I think because the 49ers secondary has been a mixed bag as far as like from the corner standpoint but Jimmy Ward has been one of the um the like standard stabilizing factors of their secondary. He's a really good safety. And I think that when you're going into a season, when you're bringing in, fully bringing in Trey Lance's quarterback, you lost your offensive coordinator, Mike Daniels, to a head coaching job in Miami. Yes, you have a lot of good pieces on their defense. You have Nick Bosa, you have Fred Warner, but you kind of, I feel like this is a season where you're going to have to rely on your defense more because you have a young quarterback and it's going to be growing pains. And the 49ers are a team that just a year ago was in the NFC Championship game. And they could have very well made it to the, um, to the not the NFC Championship. They were in the NFC Championship game. Yeah. Yeah, but they could have very well made it to the Super Bowl. And granted, you have... Um, you're bringing in a new quarterback, but you still have a lot of talent on their roster. And with Trey Lance and the unknown commodity that he is, you're going to want to have something to lean on. And I think they will want to lean on their defense because they have so much talent. So I think that's a big blow. Yeah, you and I are both in agreement here on Jimmy Ward. Um, pretty much just to sum it up. We know that they have a very talented front seven, but that secondary has had questions for a few years now. And honestly, Jimmy Ward has been the best piece of it, so not having him for those first four games could prove to be a big problem, especially with teams attempting to throw the ball deep. But all right, now time for what may be the most difficult breakdowns that we've done so far, the AFC and NFC West. Ethan, we started in AFC, NFC, where you wanna go? Let's say the let's say the good for last. So let's go to NFC. All right, starting off, taking things to the West Coast, we got the Arizona Cardinals, Los Angeles Rams, Seattle Seahawks, San Francisco 49ers. So, in your opinion, who is the most underrated team in the division? In my opinion, I'm going. To, I'm actually going to say the Arizona Cardinals. I think that every obviously the Rams. With them coming off the Super Bowl, they rightfully have all the momentum and all the hype. The 49ers, a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people are basing a lot of their hype around them because there's just there's been so much talk around the quarterback position. And they are a really talented team. But I think the Arizona Cardinals made some really good, some really quiet, but like good moves. Like one of them being bringing in Marquise Brown. 
granted we know that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be suspended for I think six games for PED use but you think about it you bring in him you have Rondell Moore you have like a bevy of receivers that you can still use and you also re-sign Kyler Murray and he looks to be potentially be more committed and like more um like focused for the season and you have good, you have a good running back in James Conner and you still have a really good defense yes you lost Chandler Jones but you have good pieces on defense like I personally think that the Arizona Cardinals could be a really a really good sleeper team in the NLC for this season all right for me um I'm gonna go with the Seattle Seahawks now I understand nobody is giving them the time of day after losing both Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. I totally understand. But if you look at some of the pieces that they have on this roster, their offense at least has a chance to be really good. They still have DK, Tyler Lockett, Ken Walker has looked really good. If Rashad Penny can build off the performance he had, he has a chance. Um, You look at uh, Noah Fan, who they got in the Broncos trade. He's one of the better young tight ends in this league. Their offensive line has made steps up. And then I'm missing... As I mentioned, defensively, you still got two really good safeties in Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. Jordan Brooks took a lot of steps, even with Bobby Wagner there, so I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I think Seattle is going to blow the league away and win 10 games, but I think that they're going to be in a lot more tight contest than people give them credit for. But moving on to the most overrated team, in our opinions, I'm going to go to the San Francisco 49ers. I commend them for making it to the NFC Championship. If you would have told me they would have made it that far last year, I would have called you a liar. But we kind of talked about it a little bit ago with injuries. I just I don't love this secondary. And while their front seven is good, I feel like, God forbid, they suffer an injury to Fred Warner or Nick Bosa. They're going to face some tough challenges. And that's just looking at defense. Offensively, you have a big question mark in Trey Lance. Is he really the guy worthy of getting the keys to your franchise? You get rid of Jimmy G, who wasn't great, but you know he knew the system. You knew him like the back of your hand. And now you're really starting out from scratch. So I think that you're relying a lot lot on guys like Debo and George Kittle to help lead the charge but I just don't see them as a team at right now to be taken seriously as a Super Bowl contender oh uh, yeah for me most overrated I'm in the greatest the 49ers simply because like they've they've lost a lot I'm not gonna say a lot I feel like they lost a lot of significant pieces like we we tend to forget about it because of the talk about Trey Lance. But they lost Raheem Mostert, who, granted, he was an off-injured player. Like, he got injured very often. But when he was on the field in that offensive system, he was a really, really good running back. And we don't know what they're going to look like with him not on the field. You bring in Trey Lance, who is an enigma of a talent because – you don't you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. He has all the physical tools, but he hasn't really played um, significant meaningful football. Even in college, he didn't, and he played at a lower level in college. And like you stated with the secondary, like their secondary isn't anything to write home about. You have a good like you have a good front four, but I mean front seven. But what are you going to do on the back end of their defense to help those guys out? And now with the um, boss of Jimmy Ward, at least for the time being, like this secondary is even worse. So I got to go with San Fran. All right, so who's your favorite player in the division? 
favorite player in the division. Huh, that's tough. No, it ain't. Aaron Donald. It's okay. it's okay. Aaron Donald. Everybody likes Aaron Donald until he destroys your quarterback. Uh, For me, I'm going my main man, Jamal Adams. I've loved Jamal Adams since his days at LSU. In truth, he's my favorite young defensive player to come out as of now overall. It's still Patrick Peterson. But, I mean, I love the president when he was coming out. And I think that this could be a really big year for him. He suffered an injury uh, towards the latter half of last year, which made him miss a lot of action, which I think was really unfortunate because he was shaping up to have a really good year. But I, I'm excited to see what my man can do. I know the Seahawks defense is still going to put up a lot of points, but at least as long as he can still look flashy, I'm happy. But, all right, let's talk players who we feel are an improving year. I'm going Kyler Murray. Yes, he got his money. Yes, his homeboy from college is now on his team. But still, once you get that money, you make, especially with how much he's getting, it now comes down to expectations of like, all right, you got your money, you bitched and moaned about it. What are you going to do to prove that you earned it? And I think that anything less than making it to at least the second round of the playoffs is a bit of a disappointment, especially because, yes, the defense may have took their lumps, but offensively, they have gotten better. They've got some really solid pieces around him. Of course, D-Hop is going to miss the first few weeks, but that's why you have Hollywood Brown. As you mentioned, Rondell Moore showed a lot of flashes as a rookie. Um, even some other younger guys who are there. And then you get another tight end and Trey McBride. So I think that for Kyler Murray to not just silence the doubts about him as a player, but his leadership and other things like that, I think that is going to be so big for him this year. And the easiest thing to make people forget about this ridiculous offseason that he had was to win games. Um, since you won Kyler Murray, I'm going to go with probably an unconventional route. I'm going to say Cooper Cup. And the reason I say Cooper Cup is he's, throughout the course of his career, he's been a consistent good wide receiver. But last year, he took a leap that put him in the status of all-time greats as far as the form of production. He was the triple crown winner. He had the most reception yards, the most receptions, and the most touchdowns out of any wide receiver in the NFL this past season. And I think that, like, going into this season, a lot of people are giving him praise and anointing him as being, as maybe being one of the top wide receivers. But I want to see if he's going to be able to produce, not necessarily at that level, but at a similar level consistently. Like, we talk about Devontae Adams. The reason everyone puts Devontae Adams as the best wide receiver in the NFL it's because he had he does it consistently. It's not just one splash year, and I think that we have to see that from Cooper Cook. No, I respect that. That was kind of my similar case with uh, Jamar Chase. I think wide receiver. I mean, we it's a flash in the pan. You can have one year, a terrific year, one year, and then fall off the face of the earth the next year. We see it a million times. So I I think that's a really good choice as well. All right, who do you think is going to break out this year? Hmm. Who do I think is going to break out? I mean, personally, I'm going to say Rondell Moore. And the reason being, I don't think he's going to be like a number one wide receiver, but I think he's going to be a guy that you want to look up and he's going to have a really good level of production. Because you think about it, you have, for the time being, you have Hollywood Brown. He's going to be the number one. So the fact that Rondell is going to be the number two, and you're going to put him up against 
your second best corner. But then, as the season progresses, you're going to have D-Hop back and Hollywood. So then you're going to have him as probably your third wide receiver. And you're going to match him up against your third best corner. He's a guy that's shown that he can make plays. And I think that with the pass-happy offense that the Cardinals bring, that he's going to get a nice level of production. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good one. I'm actually going to go with his teammate in Hollywood Brown. I mean, in Baltimore, he even said that he felt like Baltimore really didn't need him. And though I wouldn't go as far as to say I think the Cardinals are going to necessarily need him, but I do think his numbers are going to jump off the page. Had his first 1,000-yard season last year, just Brad barely scratching it. I don't think he has that same problem this upcoming year. We know the Cardinals love to throw the ball, and then with D-Hop being gone, I think that that's going to allow a lot of targets coming his way early on. The biggest question is, are, is he going to be able to catch him? If he does so, I think the sky's the limit for what he's going to be able to do this season. All right, my rookie to watch. I'm taking things up to Seattle. I'm going running back Ken Walker out of Michigan State. He's been a guy who was making a lot of noise prior to suffering a bit of a hernia injury um, last week. And I think that when you look at Seattle's running back room, you see that they're looking for that star. Of course, after Marshawn Lynch, it's kind of been a who's who of who. Rashad Penny, they drafted in the first round a few years ago, never really lived up his up to his potential up until late in last season. They're kind of expecting him to do the same thing. But I think that Ken Walker could be that nice, fluid power rusher. They've been lacking for a really long time and help be a nice compliment for this offense that may not see the fruits of their labor this year but possibly moving on in the future. Yeah, I'm in agreement with Kenny Walker. He's a guy um, like in Michigan State, he was their entire offense. He was a guy that was a bell cow and I think that you look up in Seattle's running back room, like you stated, they don't have a Marshall Lynch coming in anymore. They don't even have a Chris Carson who, um, due to unfortunate circumstances, had to retire. And now they're in the place where they're looking for their running back of the future. Is it going to be Rashad Penny? He had flashes last season, but we don't know. And I think that Kenneth Walker is a guy that can step in and maybe earn their starting job and sneak out a quiet thousand-yard season. Yeah, I think that he's going to do for a big year. All right, so what is your bold prediction for the NFC West? I honestly don't think mine is that crazy bold, but we'll see. Mm, bold prediction. Uh, that it's not that bold, but it might be. That it's going to be three teams out of the division to make the playoffs. Uh, 49ers, Cardinals, and Rams again? Yep. Okay. Uh, my bold prediction is the Rams once again represent the NFC in the Super Bowl with a big year from Cooper Cup, but an even bigger year from Allen Robinson. I know we talk about Odell and how bad we want him to go back to L.A. and how great Cooper Cup was, but Allen Robinson was a terrific signing for this squad. They get another really good number two wide receiver, who I think is an upgrade over what they had in Robert Woods, Van Jefferson, or whoever else was going to take that role. I mean, up until prior to last year, Allen Robinson was a guy who knocked out 1,000-plus receiving yards at will. And I think that while Cooper Cup is still going to get a lot of attention, Allen Robinson has a chance to have one of the best years of his career. Um, I got the Rams winning the division. What, do you, what about you? Yeah, I got Rams winning. All right, now to the AFC West. 
time to time to use that brain power because this is this is gonna be tough. Who's the most underrated team in that division to you? Sheesh. Uh, in all honesty, I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to say the Las Vegas Raiders. I think that you know a lot a lot of people talk about them because they added Devontae Adams, but I still feel like people don't give them their due respect because of their quarterback. Like, everyone always talks about they have questions around Derek Carr as the quarterback. And the honest truth is, if you look at his career, he's quietly shown that he's been a really good quarterback. And he's shown to be a guy that can make clutch plays. And I think that, yes, they don't have necessarily all the pieces on the defensive side of the football, but I think that offense is going to be well, I don't think I know their offense is going to be the driving force of their team, and I think that they're going to be able to kind of be a a team that puts up a lot of points in that herd. All right, I never thought I'd see the day, but I actually think the Chiefs are the most underrated team. I think that yes, you lose Tyreek Hill, that's a major blow, but let's not ignore the other key pieces of what could have been a dynasty. Patrick Mahomes is still in the fold. Best tight end in the league, Travis Kelsey's still there. Andy Reid, still one of the best callers in all of the NFL. That offense, I think, is going to be just fine. I think it's just more so going to be a collaborative effort instead of Tyreek Hill getting 150 targets in a season. Juju Smith, I know that these last couple of years, the overall media perception of him has soured a little bit, but he can still play. He can still ball. And then you get MVS, who, of course, he's not as dynamic as Tyreek Hill, but you get a speed threat. And then a rookie, Sky Moore, who everyone is speaking so highly of. I think the Chiefs are going to be just fine offensively. And then looking at the defensive side of the ball, George Karloftis has looked great coming off of the edge. Trey McDuffie, I'm expecting a big year out of him. I think the Chiefs are going to be just fine. And then my most overrated team... It's hard because I don't I don't think anybody is like grossly overrated, but if I had to go with anybody, I think I'd probably go the Raiders just because I don't trust that defense. I think their defensive line is going to be great with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, but after that, it's just like they're just going to be playing catch-up, and I think that it's going to be really challenging for that secondary led by what Trayvon Mullen and Trevon Morig, uh, Jonathan Abram, another safety, to really get things going. Just because you know in this division, everybody is going to be slinging the rock 30-plus times a game. So, I, like you said, I think their offense is going to be a driving force, but I just I don't trust the rest of that defense enough to really make too much of an impact. Uh, for me, my most overrated team, I'm going with the Los, An- uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Um... Because, yes, they've added a lot of great pieces. Like, yes, I think Jason Jackson is a stud. I think adding Khalil Mack is great. I think um, the piece, like having Justin Herbert coming to another year, I think everything is great. I think Darren James is great. But the thing of it is we've seen that great teams on paper, they tend they for whatever reason when it comes down to football more often than not they let you down and i think a lot of it too is because of like you look at some of the some of the pieces like for instance darren james he's an all-time he's a generational talent in safety but he doesn't stay healthy he's coming he 
he's had two years where he had devastating injuries back to back. You look at Khalil Mack, honestly, before he got traded to the Chargers, people were kind of beginning to write him off and say that he's not the great player that he was. And I think with Joey, both, like Justin Herbert in the offense, I think it's great. My also, my, this my other biggest question mark really comes from their head coach. Like he's shown moments of being adept as a head coach, and I think that that could be something that plays into their um their demise at certain points during this season, just because he's not adequate enough of a coach to um push them to be as good as they need to be. I think that's a very fair assessment because a lot of people are not only looking at the Chargers to win that division but possibly go to the Super Bowl. So I think that's a really good pick. Um, all right, so who's your favorite player in the division? Uh, I have three. Two on the same team, so I'll go with those two. Number one, Chris Jones. Naturally. Number two. Travis Kelsey and number three, Max Crosby. That's fair. Killer Trav has been the recipient of this pseudo award for a long time now, but now my brother-in-law is in the division, so I got to go with Russell Wilson. I mean, he's been my favorite player in the NFC West for such a long time. Now he's just moving over to the other conference. So, yeah, he's still my favorite. But he's also my pick for Prove It year. I mean, he's coming to – and he it's interesting because he mentioned that because of how stacked the AFC West was, that was a big reason why he wanted to come to Denver in the first place. That's great. It sounds motivating. It seems like there's such a new energy around the Broncos. They're actually looked at as more than just a mid-level playoff team. But it's a whole nother thing to actually get the team there to where you want to be. I mean, and I I get it. The Broncos, since Peyton Manning, have not had a good quarterback. And it's unfortunate because they've had so much talent on the roster. And now Russell Wilson is being looked at to be the savior. So if they don't at least make the playoffs, this year is a disappointment. And especially after coming off last year where he did suffer an injury, people are already going to be questioning, is this the same Russ? Is Russ even that guy? Is he a top 10 quarterback? Blah, blah, blah. And if Russ is not able to shut the noise down and get his team to at least the playoffs, I think that he's going to catch a whole lot of hell. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, my proof year, it goes to another quarterback, and I'm pretty sure you know where I'm going. It's going with Patrick Mahomes. Like, this is the first year where he doesn't have his dynamic playmaker of a wide receiver, Tyreek Hill. And there's been times where people have, he said it, and people have quoted him on saying, like, hey, when we go out on offense, I look over and see his matchup, and I automatically know he's going to win it, so I throw it his way. What is he going to look like when you don't have that ultimate confidence and ultimate, like, security blanket in Tyreek Hill on the field? And I think he's going to, I think he's still going to be a really productive quarterback. But I don't think he's going to be the Patrick Mahomes that we've been used to seeing. So I got to go with Patrick Mahomes. Fair enough. All right, so who's breaking out this year? <clears throat> who's breaking This was tough. Out? I had a few guys. I'll let you go. All right, so I'm going to take things to L.A. I'm going to say cornerback Asante Samuel Jr. Jr. He got a lot of attention the first few. I think he was the defensive rookie of the month his first year last September I'm pretty sure I'm 
I'm right about that. But then after that, he, he kind of fell off of a cliff, unfortunately, having those number one cornerback responsibilities. I don't want to say we're too big for him, but he got a little bit too exposed. However, this year around, you have J.C. Jackson in place, and you know J.C.'s going to be able to handle those first-team responsibilities as well as kind of coach up Asante Samuel as a way to kind of get him to where he needs to be in terms of creating more turnovers, being better in coverage, things like that. And I think that with especially if they move Asante to the slot, I think that he's going to have a much bigger and better year and really kind of complete this Charger secondary that's supposed to be so great on paper. Okay. So the guy I'm going with, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to necessarily say this is a breakout year, but it might kind of stem in it. I'm going to say it's a redemption year and I'm going to go to Kansas City again. I'm going to say wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. Okay. Um, this is a guy that we know that we know has had a thousand yards as a wideout, and he had a thousand yards when he was paired up with arguably the greatest wide receiver of this generation, in Antonio Brown. And once Antonio Brown left, he didn't have that same level of production. But I think this time is going to be different because he's going to have a all-time great Hall of Fame quarterback as far as talent in Patrick Mahomes and he's going to put he's going to put him in a position to do the things that he does best. Juju Smith isn't the greatest route runner. He isn't a guy that you're going to see just like get clean releases, but he's a guy that you're going to see win contested catches. And Patrick Mahomes is a quarterback that has the um he has the confidence to say like hey I'm going to put the ball up in only an area that you're going to get it. Yeah, I just need you to get it. And I think the difference between this year and years previous of Juju is he seems to be focused. Like, he's not on the sideline doing TikToks. He's not in the locker room doing TikToks. He's, he's like, taking a real business approach to this offseason. And I think you're going to see him crack maybe – 1200 yards this season. I could see it. I could definitely see that, especially because it's kind of questioned about who's going to be their number one wide receiver. So if there was going to be somebody kind of getting that edge, I would think it would probably be Juju. All right, so who's your rookie to watch this year? Rookie to watch. Mm. You want me to go? Yeah. All right, so I'm going to show love to another cornerback in the division, and that is Trent McDuffie. If you know anything about this podcast or me specifically I love defense and I don't care how great of an offense there is if the defense is lacking I'm gonna talk crap and with the Kansas City Chiefs I've had a lot of crap to be able to talk their secondary has been atrocious and then with losing Tyron Matthew that's an even bigger blow I like Justin Reed and I'm interested to see how he's gonna uh, step up but I do think that Trip McDuffie rookie corner out of Washington one of their first round picks is gonna be tasked with a lot of responsibilities I could see him kind of stepping into that number one corner role or at least shadowing a luxurious need for a bit before he really steps up um, he was one of the better cover corners in this past year's draft and I think that he's gonna be able to show that ability this time around and they're going to need them to, especially looking at the high-power wideouts around the rest of the division. Anything in their secondary is going to be tested, but I think that Trey McDuffie's going to be able to answer that call. What's the rookie pass rusher for KC? I forgot. George Karloftis. Yeah, that's my rookie to watch. Um, when you 
I feel it feels weird come Casey Evick, but it is what it is. Like, I think with them, they've always had issues with finding edge rushers. Like, you had Frank, you had, <laughs> they've had Frank Clark, who has had moments where he's been a really productive player for them, but he just doesn't always show up. And he also has legal issues that he has to overcome. They moved Chris Jones last season. They moved Chris Jones to the outside, and he did fairly well, but they ultimately ended up moving him back inside because that's where he's the most productive. And I think you're going to get a guy, you're going to bring in a guy that can make plays on the edge and kind of maybe potentially get double-digit sacks for them, something that they need, especially with all the great quarterbacks in that division. I can feel you on that. All right, so what's your bold prediction for the AFC West? Bold prediction? Hmm. Ah, this tough. Uh, It's hard. I know this was the toughest division to figure stuff out for me, 100%. I'm going to be honest. Bold prediction, I think... One of them is not bold, but I think they're going to be the only division with two double-digit um, sack pass rushes. Ooh. I mean, the only the Chargers. Oh, okay. I could, I could see that. Um, all right, for me, I'm going to say, I know you're putting a lot of pressure on Patrick Mahomes. I know you got a lot of doubts about him, and they're fair, but I think the envy, I think he returns the MVP form and helps the Chiefs back to the AFC Championship game. You'll know who I think they face next week, but I think I think that they can do it. I think that defensively they have gotten better in quite a few areas with their rookie selections. Of course, not having Tyron Matthew is still going to be tough, but I think that they'll be able to be suitable. And offensively, I think that they're going to be just fine factoring in. And I even talk about how improved I think their run game is going to be. I just think that the Chiefs are going to finish, are going to be fine without Tyreek Hill. And even though it might not be as sexy, it might not be as pretty, I think that the Chiefs are really going to show that it's more of a system as opposed to one specific guy, no matter how much of a game changer he is. Um, But with that being said, I still think the Chargers win this division. I think kind of like when I said with the South, it's going to be a dogfight up until week 18. But I think the Chargers eke it out in the last week. Yeah, I have the Chargers winning the division as well. All right, let's go ahead and play a quick game of believable or buffoonery. Last week it came out that uh, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, what the holdup was, while they were offering him a lot more money, especially more than Kyler Murray, Lamar wants a fully guaranteed contract, which is understandable, but you you see both sides of it. Former running back uh, in the league, James White, talked about Lamar's contract situation and said, I think he should be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. He's one of one. You know my stance on this, but believable or buffoonery, Lamar Jackson should be the league's highest paid quarterback. Uh, this is tough. Oh my gosh. Uh, for me, it's not that tough. For me. It's tough because I love Lamar. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. It's hard to set aside your bias when it's like one of your favorite players. So I understand. So me, honestly and truly setting aside my biases, no, he shouldn't be the highest paid quarterback. Because, like, I'm not even going 
I'm not even, I know you could go through the whole concept of talking about his play style because he he loves to um, scramble and run and things of that nature. I'm only going to go to a part of his play style. I feel like because you have other quarterbacks that are way more efficient and superior as passers, that's the reason why he shouldn't be the highest paid quarterback because you look at Aaron Rodgers. I'm, I'm only going to talk about the guys that I honestly think are better than Lamar. I'm talking about the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allens, and the Aaron Rodgers. Like, those guys have the best arm talent in the NFL, and they're also capable scramblers as well. And that's the thing that I think sets them apart is because they can make every throw. Lamar still has questions around being able to make every throw. And that's something that I did. I can't, I couldn't give a quarterback the most money if I have questions around his throwing capabilities. That's fair. I'm, um, I'm saying buffoonery. Um, I guess I look at it more from the team standpoint. Lamar Jackson is amazing. I'm happy to have him, especially looking at some of the other quarterback hot messes around the league. But I, I can't do it, especially because I've been burned before. Being a Baltimore fan for a long time, I remember Joe Flacco going into that contract year, helps us win the Super Bowl. We give him a boatload of money. We can't bring back valuable free agents, and it's it, we've never been the same since that moment. My biggest fear is we do that, and we're unable to continue to build our team and continue to get stronger. And then, because what if we don't even get a Super Bowl out of it? That's my, I'm, I'm scared. Like, I've been, I've said multiple times, the Deshaun Watson deal in Cleveland looks terrible if they don't at least get one Super Bowl out of it. And if Lamar was to get a similar contract or even more, the sentiment would still be the same. So, I'm, I'm saying buffoonery. All right, keeping things in the division, though, Jesse Bates, who initially announced he was going to hold out after not wanting to sign a franchise tag, is now back with the team and preparing to play. Um, after reporting to the team, he said that he's hoping to prove his worth this time around. So, and typically when we see players kind of enter that contract year situation and they're playing on the tag, they have some of their best performances. So, believable or buffoonery, Jesse Bates is going to have the best year of his career in 2022. I think it's believable. Um, I mean, he has another year of experience. He's, he's highly motivated. I think the only thing that can slow him down is the injury. Yeah, I'll... I'll say believable as well, especially because, I mean, you still got the strong pieces in front of you with Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson. Linebacker group is solid. Corner's going to be good. And then plus, because you know that the Bengals have your replacement right behind you and Daxton Hill. And so I think that because Daxton is there, I think that if anything, he's going to be auditioning for another team to earn the big bucks and possibly become the highest paid safety in the league just because it seems like there's always a new highest paid something every offseason all right let's continue things in the AFC but take things down to the AFC East with the Miami Dolphins who as we all know they gave a lot of money this offseason to Tyree Kill to run Armstead along the offensive line and then they still got guys like Jalen Waddle signed some running backs however it seems that there is somebody who they may not want to pay and that's tight end Mike Jasicki who is also going to be playing on the franchise tag and with the uncertainty of his future with the team he's apparently been mentioned in some trade conversations believable or buffoonery the Miami Dolphins to trade Mike Jasicki before the start of the season 
buffonery because Mike Gesicki is one of the most slept on great good tight ends in the league and I feel like when you have a quarterback into a that you have questions around his capabilities keeping a a really good pass catching tight end it never hurts and especially when you're in the when you're in a division that you could potentially have a a puncher's chance at winning like I think they should keep him I before initially I was going to say they should trade him but now that I think about it I think that because this is a huge audition year for Tua you want to have enough pieces around him to where he has absolutely no excuses. If you lead, if you give him a better O-line, as mentioned, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and Mike Jasicki, he has the weapons on offense. And if he still can't make it go, then you know to get rid of him. If you lose Mike Jasicki, you can make an argument that they took away a weapon. So I'll say buffoonery for now. All right, let's go ahead and take things back to the AFC North. We always love looking at the young guns, especially when it comes to rookie quarterbacks, because it's more fun when a rookie gets to start immediately over a bridge quarterback. That's what's taking place in Pittsburgh, where there have been some pretty positive talks of Kenny Pickett because of this off this preseason, and I mean rightfully so. So much so that Shady McCoy, former NFL running back, said in due time, speaking of Pickett, he will be the same thing as Joe Burrow. I do think he's a lot more athletic. And you know I hold Joe Burrow in a Really important place in my heart, but he may have a slight point. Kenny Pickett this preseason, 29 of 36 completions, threw for 261 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. And just keep in mind, he never played a full game. So, believable or buffoonery, Kenny Pickett is the next Joe Burrow. Um, I'm going to have to say buffoonery. Only reason being is because I understand he had a great preseason, but also we all know that in the preseason when you face defenses, they give you the most vanilla bland defense you could potentially face. And he made some really great plays, but like Joe Barrow from the moment he said, the moment the season started, um, as a rookie before he got hurt and even throughout the whole course of his second season, he was like, he stepped in and was like, yeah, I'm that guy. I don't, I can't say that about Kenny Pickett because, and the reason being also is like, he hasn't played um, against number one defenses. He hasn't played against like the schemes that Joe Burrow has played against from, from the jump. So I think he's going to be, a, I think he's going to be a good quarterback to say he's the next Joe Burrow, I'm going to have to say no. I'm going to call buffoonery on that too and it doesn't really have anything to do with just on-field play, but it's like you mentioned, it's that swagger. Like Joe Burrow is one of those guys, like when he comes to the field, like he doesn't care who you are, he doesn't care what you say, like he is coming for blood he is coming to get a victory and I mean, as we've seen throughout his career, it's worked out in his benefit because they have won a lot of games that people wouldn't think that they were going to. I mean, hell they just came off of an AFC North I mean, AFC Championship appearance were in the Super Bowl and almost could have won it. If you would have told anybody that when Joe Burrow was drafted, he would be able to accomplish that in his second year, I don't think anybody would believe it. Hell, I wouldn't believe it. And I love me some Joe Burrow. But, yeah, with Kenny Pickett, I think Kenny is going to be really good. I think that the Steelers are going to be a lot better than people are giving them credit for, or at least offensively. But 
personally, it's not enough for me to think that he's just going to have this meteoric rise that Joe Burrow had. So I'm also calling buffoonery. All right, last one. We're keeping conversations on the quarterback. And we're going to talk a little bit Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Of course, everyone was shocked when the trade actually took place. But there still seems to be love between the two. So much love that Devontae Adams publicly called Aaron Rodgers the GOAT. He said he's the best quarterback, in my opinion to play this game he had the Michael Jordan effect he's gonna make you play better just by being on the field I know that there's a lot of critiques about Aaron Rodgers and the playoff success blah 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 but believable or buffoonery Aaron Rodgers name should be mentioned among the goats yeah Aaron Rodgers I mean in my personal opinion and the only reason being is because we're still at a young portion of Patrick Mahomes career but, like, Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback in the history of the NFL. Like, the fact that he was able to win um, MVP last season just further proves that point. I understand we have guys like Tom Brady and his seven Super Bowls, and even what he did last season. But the difference, in, to me, in my opinion, is the reason why I can include Aaron Rodgers in the go conversations is, he can make every throw from every angle, and he's also at age whatever. Like, like I think he's forty or close to being forty. Mm-hmm. He's still mobile enough to run around, run away from defenses, and like there's something that stands out to me to where it's like, hey, he he has all the physical tools that he's had from his first year as a starter, and he's in. I think he's in year like 12 or 13, something like that. He's been, he got drafted in 2005 and he missed, he set out the first two years behind Brett Favre, probably two or three years. Yeah, so it's like he has, like, from a physical talent standpoint, he still has every physical tool that he's had from the first game that he started and he's significantly older. And he also just has that, like, he has his own, like, swagger about him. And I think that plays a lot into it as well. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I would say believable as well. I know everybody looks at playoff success, and that's a big indicator in who's the GOAT and who's not, which is fair. But, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a bad man. And I think – especially looking at this present generation of quarterbacks, you look at the post – Late, let's say 2010s, I know people will look at Aaron, I mean, Tom Brady because of the rings. Drew Brees set all those records. But for me, I think that Aaron Rodgers probably looked the best out of all of them. Like, like I said, take away the rings. Aaron, as you mentioned, was the most talented, the most explosive, and did so with the least amount of talent. I'll be the first to say I would take Aaron Rodgers' career over Drew Brees' any time of the day. Because everybody looks at Drew Brees as, oh, he threw for so many yards, he had touchdowns, blah, blah, blah. But he only had, when he first got to uh, New Orleans and they got the Super Bowl, to 2017 when they had that monster draft class where they got Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchek, Marshawn Lattimore. That's when things start to turn the tide. But other than that, I mean, Drew Brees' career was mostly just empty calories. And just like Aaron Rodgers, he wasn't – he wasn't having much playoff success either. So, yeah, I think Aaron for sure should be considered 
a GOAT. All right, but moving on to somebody who in the NBA landscape may not ever enter the GOAT conversation, but possibly should, Kevin Durant. It has been a lot, and I do mean a lot of drama surrounded by KD and the Brooklyn Nets. Will he be traded? Will it be him or head coach? Uh, Steve Nash, who stays, but ultimately it was announced by Joe Tsai, the team governor, that he would, in fact, be staying with the team and they'll be trying to make it work. So a lot of questions have arisen from this. For example, Patrick Beverly, who was, as we know, very outspoken, made this tweet uh, following the announcement saying, you can sit and don't say nothing, but you ain't, but that ain't cool. It's dudes with families out here who haven't got a job because of this KD shit. And to be on and off ain't cool blessing games to gang to which kevin durant responded hashtag blame kd in your opinion do you feel like kevin durant saga affected free agents well at least had a detrimental effect for free agents i don't think so i think the biggest i think the biggest thing that affected free agency was rudy gobert like the fact that the Jazz were able to get a King's Ransom for the trade of him. I think that was the biggest domino of the um, of free agency. Because, I mean, I feel like, honestly, it even affected Kevin Durant. Like, the reason that he probably wasn't traded in this offseason was because the next asking price was so high because they saw, like, hey, this is KD. This is one of the all-time greatest offensive players of all time. And yet, we, and yet, let's ask for a King's Ransom because the Utah Jazz got a King's Ransom for a guy that is a, yes, he's a multiple-time defensive player of the year, but he isn't even the best player at his position. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think that KD was the, domin- the huge domino of free agency. I think it was Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think he was either. Like, I, if you mention from a standpoint of, like, teams weren't making signings in free agency because of Kevin Durant because they wanted to get him, I don't even think that's really the case either. This was just a weak free agency class. Like, you take most of the big-name guys like uh, Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, they ended up going back to their respective teams. So after that, it was a major drop-off in the quality of free agents. So I don't think it's fair to blame KD. But uh, kind of talking about that, they're running it back. Kyrie's coming back. KD's going to be back in the fold. And now we'll get a chance to see Ben Simmons. So how do you think the Nets stack up with the rest of the East? Is this finally the year that we see them make their way to the NBA Finals? If they're healthy, I can see them being a top a top five team in the East. I honestly can see them making the Eastern Conference Finals, and depending on the matchup and who they play, I can see them either making the finals or the or um losing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I think for sure they. But it all comes down to can they stay healthy? Because it seems that injuries have just kicked their behinds since the inception of the quote-unquote big three. So we shall see. I, but I think, as you mentioned, it comes down to being healthy. If they do, I think for sure they can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and then possibly even the uh, the NBA championship. All right, last question. Charles Barkley, another very outspoken figure, 
let's be honest, he just got beef with KD for some reason or another. Um, in a recent interview with 98.7 Arizona Sports Station, he talked about Kevin Durant's um, inability to make a true decision and inability to be a leader, to which he said, but if you go back and look at his career as the best player and being the leader that all goes with that, he's been an abject failure. Looking at his time as a team's top guy, quote-unquote, do you think that Kevin Durant's leadership has been de- has been a big part in why he may not be respected as one of the greatest to play the game? I think so. I think it plays a part simply because when you look when you think about Kevin Durant and you think about the skill um the skill level that he has and the talent that he has, like Kevin Durant is an individual that a lot of people will argue is the greatest offensive talent in the history of the NBA. And you think about it, when he was the main guy in OKC, he only had one finals appearance out of, I forget how many years he spent in OKC. Six, seven? Yeah, six, seven. And he only had one finals appearance. And in that finals appearance, it was a relatively, I think it was a gentleman's sweep, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and then he goes on, like, yes, he had a very successful, like, individual standpoint of, like, being able to win an MVP, being a guy that was, um, I think he won a couple scoring championships. But when it came down to the team dynamic, his teams never um, went, made it far with him being the main guy. So I'm going to have to say I kind of agree where it's like him as a leader, like leading a team, it's him being the sole top guy. And I mean, even you think about this past season with the Knicks, like he was the guy and in the playoffs, they crumbled. Um, So yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that too. I mean, we look at guys – like LeBron James, who no one would dispute that he is a terrific leader, the Kobe's, the MJ's, who while their leadership styles may not have been their teammates' favorites, it's led to winning. And with Kevin Durant, we know he's talented. We know he's a bad man on the court, but he hasn't necessarily made his teammates better. And I think that that's something that's a bit costly to him in the long run. So, no, I would agree with that. Um, as well but speaking of LeBron and the Lakers they made a trade and it was for tra- for Patrick Beverly in exchange for uh, Talon Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson Patrick Beverly is now a Los Angeles Laker and many people have opinions about them one of which being my main man Magic Johnson who said I used to hate Patrick Beverly when he played against my Lakers lol but now uh, but now I love him because he's on the team and he's going to help my Lakers get to the playoffs. So let's start there. Do you think that this is a move that's going to help may help the Lakers not only make the playoffs but possibly make a solid run? Uh, no. I think because like Patrick Beverly, he's a he's the guy that everyone loves to hate. Yeah. Like if he if he isn't on your team, you hate him. If he is on your team, you love him. But I don't think that like he's a player that tips the needle of being of making a playoff run because the Lakers still have a lot of holes on their roster that they need to rectify. Like, I mean, you, I I think Russ is going to have a better season, but you still have 
Russ on the team and he isn't a like a good fit next to A D and LeBron, you still need shooting like around Anthony Davis and LeBron. So it's like and you kind of got lost some of that when you traded Tyler Horton Tucker because he was a guy that he had flashes as like a scorer, but he was a guy that had a consistent three-point shot. So I'm going to have to say no. Yeah, I don't think so either. And the reason why I added the make a significant run, just because with the pieces that L.A. has, they're expected to make the playoffs to begin with. I mean, you get the duo of LeBron. No. Oh, that broke my heart. With the duo of LeBron, James, and AD, you're expected to make the playoffs. But, unfortunately, it just – they've gotten there, just have done nothing with it. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Patrick Beverly, sure, he comes in, and he's feisty, and he's this and he's that. But there's still several questions remain about how impactful and that he's going to have on – be up for this team. And right now, I'm not totally seeing it. Um, so, yeah, I don't – I don't hate the trade, but I just there's still a lot more work for us to do before I get excited about anything going on here. But uh, you mentioned Russ, and following the report of the Patrick Beverly trade, a report came out from Joven Baja that said, with the arrival of Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook is more likely to be off the Lakers' active roster by the start of training camp. Or reportedly that will either be by a trade or they may try to set up a situation where he will be kind of sent home and have a have it be like John Wall in Houston. Do you think either of those instances take place or do you think that they're going to thug it out with Russ and he's still going to see significant playing time? Uh, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't traded by training camp simply because I think at that point you want to try to make sure you want to try to get the exact roster that you're going to have intact for a training camp, and I just think that it's the best. It would be the best move for both parties. Yeah. Like we we know for one, like we know Russ and Pat Bev, they got beef, and like who who is to say as the Lakers organization, like, you want to keep both of those guys in your locker room because, I mean, we can look up and next thing you know, we see Russ and Pat Bev got into a fight at practice. I'm not surprised. I mean, I my favorite team is Memphis. I remember hearing the story about Tony Allen and LJ Mayo getting into a fight at practice. So, like, those type of, like, hard-nosed guys, they could bring a certain energy. Um... And I just think that if you were to, like, even if you were to send Russ home in a John Wall deal, like, you you kind of just know what you're going with into the beginning of the season. Like, you might still be able to trade Russ for some pieces, but it's kind of like, hey, since we know we're not going to have Russ on the court, we know where like where we stand with like okay these these are the guys that we're going into the season with so but I do think that he might be gone before trying to kill him. I think it'd be better to try to trade him as opposed to um definitely as opposed to trying to just send him home because in the end you're still paying him that a whole bunch of money if you're gonna get if you're gonna be paying him I mean you might as well play him or try to find a way to make it work. Uh, but, yeah, I think he ends up being traded because, like you said, for both parties, it just makes sense. Um, Russ has been under mad scrutiny since joining the Lakers. It's not a good fit on the Lakers. I mean, push come to shove, just 
he's he's got to get traded. And plus, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, the Lakers still need some shooters, and unfortunately. Russ does not provide that, so maybe you could trade him trying to get one of those shooters, even if it's not going to be a superstar name. All right, one more piece before we go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. Let's talk the injury of Chet Holgroom, who is unfortunately going to miss his entire rookie year after suffering a torn ligament in his foot after suffering an injury at Jamal Crawford's crossover pro-am game that had to be stopped due to unsafe court conditions this is the absolute last thing you want to happen at these pro-am games because not only are injuries a big thing but you know the nba is going to be start getting pretty scared of these things happen more rapidly so ethan in your opinion do you think that nba teams are going to start putting in contracts more often that players will not be allowed to participate in these pro-am games for their quote-unquote safety uh i would be surprised if he if he come, if he like, if you start to see, I just think that it's hard simply because it's like you're telling a basketball player that you don't want them to play basketball because the reality of it is, it's like this same injury could have occurred while he has a workout and things of that nature. Like, I get it. I kind of would understand it better where if it was an incident where he was doing something that wasn't completely related to basketball like you know Jay Williams in his contract he had a clause where he where he wasn't supposed to ride his motorcycle mm-hmm. um, like I think you looked up and like Big Ben had clauses about motorcycles and things of that nature like things where you actually put yourself in harm's way I can see that, but like you're telling a you like you're telling a basketball player essentially like, hey, I don't want you to play basketball. That doesn't necessarily um, make sense to me because it's one of those things to where it's like, hey, this also from a business standpoint, seeing Chet Holmgren in program games like that could garner. Um, like they could booster his um his star power in the league, like they could help potentially booster your revenue as a team. So it's a lot of it's a back and forth to it to where it's like, yes, you don't you hate to see that he got hurt, but I don't think it's one of those things to where it's like, hey, you're not gonna play. Yeah. I unfortunately I think the teams are gonna start getting really scary about that. Um, and I think they probably are going to start implementing it, or at least for, like, higher draft picks or their superstar players. Because, I mean, we've seen stipulations all the time about teams trying to prevent players from doing certain things just to protect their investment. Like I said, it's really unfortunate that this had to happen to Chet, especially because I know how much excitement there was for him and his rookie year. But, unfortunately, I do think it's going to have some lasting effects, and teams are going to try to be proactive to prevent stuff like this happening, even though, like you mentioned, it could happen doing almost anything. All right, but let's go ahead and run through this quick game of believable or uh, buffoonery. Starting, taking things back up to Brooklyn, Gilbert Arenas talked about the hot mess that has been the – that has been the Brooklyn Nets and said this and speaking of Steve Nash he should have gotten like a developmental type of team Grizzlies Sacramento one of those types of teams I don't think that he should have been put with those super three superstars I mean let's be honest kind of looking at what the quote-unquote big three and 
Brooklyn was supposed to be. It was a shock that Steve Nash was selected to be their head coach. So, believable or buffoonery, hiring Steve Nash as head coach was the biggest mistake of the failed Nets big three. Mm, it's hard to say that because a lot of the failed Nets big three came because they were hurt. Yeah. Like, they only played, like, what, five games in total together throughout their whole tenure? Um, and I think that Steve Nash takes a bulk of it because, like, rightfully so, he is the head coach. But if that's the case, then you look at the um, you look at the other end of this scale, and you look at Steve Kerr as the coach, head coach of the Golden State Warriors. Right. Like, who's to say he he's the reason that they are as successful or aren't as successful than they are? Like, I think it all it all kind of falls down the circumstance. Um, and it's also, like, you can't blame Steve Nash because two of those members of the Big Three are the reason he got hired. Like, KD and Kyrie were the ones advocating to hire him for the head coach. So, I, I'm going to say buffoonery. And also, don't ever mention Steve Nash's name <laughs> and coaching the Memphis Grizzlies ever in your life. <laughs> That would be so terrible. Uh, yeah, no, I'm going to say buffoonery as well, just because, like you mentioned, it's not totally fair. I don't think the hiring was the right choice, but I'm not going to totally berate him as, like, he's the root of all evil because he couldn't. It's not his fault. His players couldn't stay healthy. Kyrie misses almost half the season because of injuries and then COVID vaccinated. Like, it was a whole bunch of mess going on that – Honestly, Steve Nash had nothing to do with. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about Andre Drummond, who, as we all know, doesn't get too much attention. But he had an interesting comment that I want to talk about just because everybody's so focused on championships and scoring, blah, blah, blah. But instead, he had a different approach. He said, by the time I retire, I'll go down as the best rebounder ever. As of right now, he ranks 46th all time and fourth among, amongst all. Uh, active players with 6,266 uh, uh, rebounds. So, believable or buffoonery, Aaron, Andre Drummond is on his way to being the league's GOAT rebounder. I'm going to have to say buffoonery. I don't know who holds number one. I might, I'm assuming it. I think it's Dennis Rodman. I might be wrong. But, um, I think in my opinion, when I think about rebounding, the first name that always comes to my mind is Dennis Rodman. Because he he was just a guy like he was six eight, six nine, but he was averaging like fifteen boys a boys a game. And like granted, Andre Drummond is a dominant rebounder, but I like I just don't see it. You want to hear something crazy? Because I'm looking at the list right now. Dennis Rodman okay. is 23rd all-time. For real? Who, who number one? Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain had 23,924 boards. Yeah, he not, he not breaking it. I'm yeah. sorry. Especially coming at, you got 6,000? No. And then amongst active players, like I mentioned, he was, uh, he was fourth. Dwight Howard is ahead of him. LeBron James and DeAndre Joe. So... And a let's see, yeah, DeAndre. I mean, not DeAndre. I'm sorry. Dwight Howard has four thousand more assists. I mean, rebounds than he does. So yeah, no, I don't think it's gonna happen for you, Drummond. But I mean, it's it's nice to it's not it's nice to have a different goal than everybody else. All right, last piece before we make our moving on to the WWE with our predictions. 
we got to talk about the Lakers and the Mount Rushmore. I don't think that there's any team in the NBA who has more players qualified to reach the Mount Rushmore. And even though LeBron James is the new flashy toy in L.A., Richard Jefferson doesn't believe his name should be mentioned. He said it was a Mount Rushmore question. Shaquille, Kobe, Elgin, Kareem, Magic, West, Chamberlain, Mikan. Bron needs more time and at least another chip to be considered on the Lakers Mount Rushmore. I won't speak for the man, but I know he respects the Lakers legacy and that's why he went there. Believable or buffoonery, LeBron James does not to be de does not deserve to be mentioned on the Lakers Mount Rushmore. Of course I'm going to say believable because of course he doesn't. Why would he? Yeah, I'm not a Lakers fan and I'm saying believable. Yeah. Like, I, know. I mean, I agree he needs to spend more time with the franchise and also like get them more championships. Yeah. Um because when you look at it, the guys that I would initially put on the list off the top of my head in no particular order are Kobe, Shaq, Magic, Hakeem. You mean Kareem? Yeah, Kareem. Uh, Kareem, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, like, the common denominator with all of those guys is they spent, like, in the case of some, they spent all of their careers with the Lakers and they won multiple championships. This is what LeBron's, what, third season? Fourth? Fourth. And he has one championship, and the one championship that he has, a lot of people put an asterisk next to it because it came in a bubble. So it's like, yeah, I can't. Like, I understand LeBron's overall career and the greatness that it is, but, like, he's he rightfully deserves to have his name in the Cleveland Mount Rushmore. Miami's and, too. Yeah, Miami's. But like the Lakers, no. Absolutely not. Lake, no. Uh if I had off the top of my head, I go Kobe Magic, Kareem. Shaq is a really good one. Jerry West is another one. No, you know. Uh, it's tough. It's really tough looking at the Lakers just because they have so many qualified players. So dang. I think I, I might I might have to go Jerry West. I think I'll go Jerry West for that fourth spot. Shaq is, like, very, very close. But I think it, it just kind of goes to longevity with the team. Jerry West was a Laker longer. That is the only only thing that gives him the nod. But, yeah, no, LeBron, no way. Absolutely not. Uh, but, all right, let's go ahead and close out this bad boy with our class at the Castle predictions. It's going to be fun. This is going to be a great pay-per-view that, unfortunately, I don't think either of us are going to watch live. But it will be viewed and it will be watched at some point of this weekend by both of us. So let's go ahead and start things off with Riddle versus Seth Rollins. Ethan, who you got? Seth Rollins. Yeah, me too. Um, I it just, yeah, this feud, I'm kind of ready for it to be over. I wish they would just have their match at SummerSlam and called it a day. But neither here nor there. Intercontinental Championship, we have Gunther, formerly known as Walter, versus Sheamus. I got Gunther. Uh, yeah, I got Gunther. I think it's going to be a banger of a match, though. All right, Why so. Did they change his name? I don't. They changed a lot of people's names. Like, Pete Dunne is Butch now. It's. Yeah, like, I saw it. Why did they do this? Okay, so Pete Dunne underwent, like, a gimmick change, which I hate. Because it's like now he's like it's him, Ridge Holland, who I'm sure you don't know, and it's Seamus. They're like in this stable that's name I can't even remember. 
But, um, so he's, his name is Butch, and so he's, like, the scrappy young gun who always wants to fight people, and is, like, uber aggressive, and it's like, no, like, bring back the bruiser weight. Pete Dunne yeah. was the coolest thing ever. I'm hope, fingers crossed, Triple H, after this pay-per-view, we get rid of this stupid Butch thing, bring back Pete Dunne. I would love to see Pete Dunne versus Gunther or Walter, whatever you want to call him for the Intercontinental Championship. That would be a banger. But, yeah, no. They've been doing that a lot lately. Some work. This one does not. Um, speaking of another name change, EO Sky, now a part of the new female stable, Damage Control, uh, will be tag teaming alongside Bailey and Dakota Kai to go against Bianca Belair, Alexa Bliss, and Asuka. I'm going with the heels on this one. It only makes sense for the heels to win. Yeah, uh, I'm going with them as well because... I watched SummerSlam when they made their return. I watched the Raw following SummerSlam where they, I think they jumped Becky. Yeah, after they jumped Becky back. Yeah. So, like, I think it just makes sense for the feud to go on. So, you got to let the heels win the first match. True that. All right. So, moving on to uh, the SmackDown Women's Championship, we have Liv Morgan versus Shayna Baszler. I really, really, really want Shayna Baszler to win, but I know Liv Morgan is going to win, so... Going live. Yeah, it's live Morgan. All right, so now the undisputed WWE Universal Championship match. We have Roman Reigns defending his title against the Scottish Warrior Drew McIntyre. This is probably the first time in a minute where I really felt like Roman could possibly lose, but I think Roman wins. But I think they do it in a way where they still split the championship, so some title is going to go to Raw, and and Roman and Cole will stay on SmackDown? Uh, I'm going to say, I think the last time I went against Roman at SummerSlam, so I'm going to go Roman, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't be surprised if, like you said, they either split the titles or, like, they let Drew win it, because it's in his hometown, that's a that's the big reason why I think Drew's going to win it. Is because typically when you have superstars in their home, like country or hometown, I I've noticed they typically always win. So, but I'm gonna say Roman. Uh, lately that's that's been kind of hit or miss. Like the bigger ones do win, but. This is one I could see. I could see going all the way. All right, so let's go ahead and hit it with a tiebreaker because we had for uh, the same answers for each match. So let's take it back to the six-woman tag match. In your opinion, who do you think is going to get the pin or submission, and who do you think is going to take the pin and or submission? I have Alexa Bliss taking the pin from Bailey. I have Bailey pin and Bianca Belair. Ooh. Okay, I I hope it's not Bianca, but I think they're going to eventually have a women's championship match at some point. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out theXReport.net. I repeat, theXReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow XReport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we close this bad boy out? Man. I can't wait for I I was about to say Saturday, but actually Thursday, college football kicks off. I'm going to I don't think it's gonna be a great game, but I plan to watch the Purdue Penn State game. Uh, and yeah, I can't wait for Saturday because it's like it's 
it's it's going to be great just to watch football. Like that, and then it's like I don't have I don't have to work on Saturdays anymore. So it's like I can legit just be at home all day in front of a TV watching football from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. It's going to be great. It's a beautiful thing. It's nothing like the football season, in my opinion. It is easily the most wonderful time of the year. So yeah, same for same for pretty much everything you said. Go Tigers, go go Tigers. Um, gonna be covering Iowa Hawkeyes stuff. So be sure to check up with me on social media. Follow along. Got a lot of fun stuff coming this week. But yeah, I mean, it's football season, baby. I'm excited. But thank you guys again for listening, and we'll see you all next time.